You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 691 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live from State Farm Arena. After a 116-111 to victory for the Atlanta Hawks, plenty to discuss in a pretty interesting game and a nice win for the Hawks, obviously. Um, but before we get to that, there was a little bit of news that actually hit the wire right as Lloyd Pierce was wrapping up his press conference. After the game, uh, word broke from Sham Sarani of the Athletic that the Hawks have uh, reportedly agreed to a 10-day contract with Paul Watson. Uh, for those of you that don't know that, the 10-day contract season actually begins tomorrow on Sunday on January 5th. That's the first day that anybody in the whole league, including the Hawks, could sign a 10-day contract. So the timing is not shocking because that's the first day they're allowed to do that. But Watson is someone who's pretty interesting in some ways. I candidly don't know a ton about him, but the numbers jump off the screen a little bit for this year. And I do remember him playing at Fresno State for four years before he's been in the G League now for three seasons. Blake Murphy, uh, who covers the Raptors, who also covers the Raptors 905 G League team, has been watching him pretty closely and uh, passed along some stuff on Twitter about, um, about Paul Watson basically saying that he's a pretty good factor on the glass defensively. Um, also saying that uh, he is uh, he's someone who plays bigger than his 6'6 frame would indicate. He's kind of a 3 and D prototype in that way. Um, I will say the first thing that pops off the screen in terms of his uh, profile uh, as a stat kind of player is the three-point shooting for this season. Uh, always been a pretty good shooter all the way back to college. Nothing nothing terribly dynamic, but this season, a 47% clip from three. That is a pretty small sample size, but still pretty impressive there on more than seven attempts per game. That's also double what he was basically doing before that, so maybe something is unlocked with Paul Watson's game. Um, the Hawks had a rusher spot to play with, so not a huge surprise there. As I said before, um, using 10-day contracts is something that just teams do when they have roster spots available. The Hawks have every reason to cycle through some guys, see if they can find a uh, sort of a diamond in the rough type. They've done this in the past with players. Um, it hasn't always worked out, but not, no real downside to signing 10-day contract guys. And when, when they moved off from Ty Wallace in December, the Hawks created a roster spot, and they are uh, you know, obviously willing and able to take a flyer on this kind of thing um, beginning on Sunday. Nothing confirmed from the team just yet, because the Hawks are, again, not allowed to sign anybody until Sunday to a 10-day contract, but there you go. On that, and we'll see uh, if anything comes with it. But that, that news actually broke about, you know, only a few minutes ago as I'm recording this podcast. So we're going to leave with that just now because this was an actual news item and a good bridge to talk about the fact that I did a two-part podcast on Friday night with the Andre Drummond rumors pop, uh, sort of popping up in full force on Friday, and also a, a very interesting game on Friday between the Hawks and the Celtics. So if you missed anything from that pod, from those two podcasts, go back and listen to those and subscribe to the show. But we can now transition a little bit to what happened actually. On Saturday night, and honestly, before the game even started, there was a lot of news breaking for the Hawks in some ways, at least some interesting stuff that happened before tip-off. The Hawks were without three guys in this spot. John Collins, who suffered an injury on Friday, seems like he's going to be okay, but uh, he was out for this game. Also, Jabari Parker was ill for this game with with what the Hawks are calling a throat infection. And then Kim Reddish... Popped up on the, on the injury report coming into the game with a right wrist sprain. He was it was listed as questionable as of Saturday afternoon, and then ruled out by Lloyd Pierce. And uh, with all that said, uh, sort of all the injury stuff that was happening, there was a pretty entertaining press conference before the game started from Lloyd Pierce. And I want to play you a couple of answers that he gave to questions. Uh, first of all, he had the media guess the starting lineup. 
because he was, uh, you could tell he was kind of just at a loss because of all the injury stuff that the Hawks have been battling um, today on, on the second night of a back-to-back. But um, in addition to that kind of hilarity when he had people guessing lineup spots, um, this, is, this is what he had to say about the injury stuff and it, sort of the stats updates for John Collins and Ken Reddish. John will be fine. Uh, you know, he landed on the tailbone and still sore and you know, he did a very light workout, but not enough to go tonight. Jabari's sick. And um, Cam um, bruised his, his wrist yesterday and just got worse yesterday, uh, overnight, I should say. You know, he nervously came to the arena feeling like he reported it late, and, but he didn't. It just got worse and, um, you know, just had trouble catching the basketball. As soon as we got him here, uh, Chelsea took him in just to test it right away just so we would know and if he can't go. So as you can hear there, no real reason to panic about John Collins. The injury status for Reddish is a little bit more unsettling because if it's, it's a wrist, it's an important injury on his shooting hand. That's something to uh, certainly keep an eye on as the Hawks play again on, on Monday. But until then, we will come back and uh, leave that there for now. I did ask what the rationale was going to be because the Hawks started, uh, Pierce said before the game, he was going to start Bruno Fernando at the four and Damian Jones at the five, which was not a huge surprise, I suppose, given what the, what the Hawks have been doing recently. In fact, they were playing against a very big team in Indiana. But I asked what the rationale was for going big with Bruno Fernando, whether that had anything to do with, with the matchup. And uh, here is what Pierce had to say about that change and how uh, it was inspired. Yeah, I mean, I think the first time we played Indiana, um, you know, our, our best our best stretches were when we had, I think it was Alex and, and Bruno out there together. And I'm trying to think of who fouled out. I think it was Alex that fouled out or Damien that fouled out in the fourth quarter. And it kind of... You know, we ended up bringing someone back in, Alex coming back in quicker than he needed to. But we had a great, great stretch with the two bigs on the court. Um, you know, obviously they, they start big and then they go small and we'll be able to adjust accordingly as well. Um, you know, coming into the, to the day, I, I thought about starting John at the five again and DeAndre at the four and being able to match DeAndre against Miles Turner and keep John in a pick and roll with Sabonis and see if we trip upon something different, you know, judging from our start yesterday, but obviously that got mixed real quick. I think it made sense to go with a bigger lineup in this game, just because of the way that the Pacers play with Sabonis and Turner as their two bigs in this spot, and obviously the lack of options with no Jabari and no John made that tough to do. It was definitely interesting that he referenced, as you heard there in the answer, that he considered actually staying very small with Collins at the five if everybody was healthy, but that obviously wasn't an option once Collins was out, and uh, without Collins and Parker, the only options that are actual you know, power forwards is basically Vince Carter, and then after that, you get into DeAndre Hunter playing up a position, and then you play play uh, Bruno Fernando down a position, which they did a little bit on all, on all fronts in this game, but a lot of creativity, and I wanted to at least let you know what the rationale was for that. The final piece of audio that I wanted to play from you for you guys from pregame was about Alex Lynn, and I know this is something I've been talking about quite a bit. It'll come up later on in the podcast because Lynn was very good in the game itself, but because Damian Jones had not been playing really at all recently, um, him jumping from basically DNPs to starting ahead of Alex Lynn drew some eyeballs and drew some attention in my Twitter mention, so I wanted to capture um, you know, what was going to happen there. I knew, I knew it was going to happen, so I wanted to ask Pierce. Uh, and just for the record, Pierce has been asked this before by me and by Chris Kirshner, by Sarah Spencer and others. Um, not, a, not a new question necessarily, but because of the circumstances where it was going from a guy in Jones who was not playing at all to, I guess, jumping ahead of Lynn and pecking order in terms of starting, I wanted to ask the question and get the actual answer recorded to pass along to you guys. So um, basically I asked essentially whether, it was, whether it, was, it was because they were comfortable with Lynn's role and Pierce uh, essentially agreed with that, and here's what he had to say about when sticking more he was. Yeah, and and you know it's 
sometimes it's it's to try and I think Alex is fine and and um, no matter what we've started a lot of different ways and he's been he's been good in his role um, hopefully starting Bruno and Damon by default empowers them gets them off to a good start gives them an opportunity and gets us an opportunity to see you know where they are one of them's going to have to play a little bit more tonight uh, maybe both but we'll see which of the two but we're definitely just going to throw them out there and, and throw them into the fire hopefully they help us get off to a good start and, and then when Alex comes in we know what we have and then we start you know matching up from there Vince will get some minutes and we're just trying to figure out how we're going to play from that point but I just want to you don't you know you feel like you have an opportunity to get some energy and some spunk and some some something from from either of those two guys throwing them out there Alex I feel comfortable where he is so there you go on that. I wanted to at least play the audio for you. I'm on record as saying as long as Len's playing more than uh, his, his counterparts, then it's probably just okay. And there is some rationale there to leaving Len in that role. At halftime, I was questioning that big time in this game as we transitioned to the actual game itself. Len only played about eight minutes in the first half, but then he was a prominent fixture in the second half of this game and actually was a huge part of the Hawks winning. So there you go on that. Um, to the game itself. At the top, you know, I wanted to at least reference the Hawks were 0-7 on back-to-backs, at least on the second round of back-to-backs coming into this game. They finally got their first win on a back-to-back um, all season long. The Hawks actually didn't even get into Atlanta until about 2 a.m. based on some flight weirdness coming out of Boston. Indiana had the day off on Friday. I guess that's, that might have been good because, you know, oftentimes teams come into Atlanta and party a little bit on a Friday night, so maybe that was at least a helpful. I'm not sure that was the case, but it could have been, certainly. Uh, but the Hawks were still about 7.5-1 underdogs coming in, particularly without Collins, Parker, and Reddish in this spot. The Pacers did not have Malcolm Brogdon, which definitely played a part in this game, I will say. But, you know, no excuses there because the Hawks were so shorthanded on their own. Uh, but, you know, coming into the game, a little bit of a modest, modest expectation, I would say. But the Hawks lay the smackdown in the first quarter. It's set the tone. Back-to-back nights here, the Hawks have built massive leads in the first quarter. In this game, they held on to it, whereas in the other one, they did not. But even, even this, in this game, too, it got a little bit dicey because the Pacers led uh, several times in the second half of the contest. But... Um, early on, the big lineup worked out for the Hawks. It was a 14-6 run from Atlanta that included six straight points from Trey Young, who was fantastic in the first half of this contest. The Hawks opened 6 of 8 from the floor. Uh, pretty good post defense by Bruno Fernando against Sabonis in the early going. Um, Alex Lund then came in first off the bench, then Vince Carter played. It was Vince breaking the four-decade barrier. He was the first player in league history to play in four decades. A pretty crazy milestone. Pierce talked about that, about that after the game, just how ridiculous and impressive it is that Vince was able to do that. So shouts to Vince for that. The Hawks then went on a 21-5 to overall run to go up by a score of 35-14. to Atlanta led by as many as 22 points in the first quarter. It's very, very impressive display from Atlanta's offense. Kevin Herter and Trey Young were cooking in the early going, opening 8 of 9 from the floor combined and 4 of 4 from 3. Trey had 13 in the uh, first few minutes of this, of this game. Young hit a late 3 to end the first quarter and put the Hawks up by 17. He had 18 points in the first quarter on perfect shooting. It was the second time all season the Hawks scored at least 40 points in the first quarter. Only the fourth time all year they've cracked 40 in a full quarter of any kind. And the, and the Hawks shot 71% from the floor. Um, that kind of speaks for itself. 6-9 uh, from the from three. They were 7-8 seven, seven from the free throw line. They had a 181, not a misprint, a 181 offensive rating in the first quarter. That is pretty darn impressive. The defense was just okay, honestly, but didn't matter because they were scoring so much. And that gave them a nice cushion to work with that they actually needed, as you probably saw the rest of this game. Um, the second quarter, not quite as good. Um, they went without Trey Young to open, the, to open the second quarter because he played the entire first quarter. They went with Goodwin, Crab, Bembry, Hunter, and Fernando to open the second quarter. That lineup did not work quite as well. An 8-2 an eight run by Indiana to cut the lead to down to 13, followed by a timeout from Pierce. 
Trey Young, though, got it going again after he came back in the game. He made his first nine shots. He had 28 points before he missed a shot in this game. He did, he did miss a free throw, so it wasn't a uh, perfect, perfect, perfect night at that point in time, but he was 9 of 9 from the floor. E extremely impressive showing from Trey in the first quarter and a half of this contest, and he had a, a new career high for points and a half, actually, with 30 before halftime in this spot. Um, a pretty shaky game from DeAndre Hunter, at least in the first half. I thought I wanted, wanted to always point that out, but an 11-0 run from the Pacers to cut into the lead late in the uh, first half, and the Hawks won it into halftime only up by four. Now, that felt... You know, coming into the game, if you, if you tell me the Hawks are up by four at the half, that would, that would have felt pretty good. But up 22, down to four, that's not as great. Um, but still, the Hawks did a pretty good job holding on. And as I said before, Alex Len played eight minutes in the first half. That was pretty indefensible, in my opinion. The Hawks were plus 11 in that stretch as well, which makes it even feel even more funny that that actually happened. Um, fortunately for the Hawks, he played better. And uh, not better, actually, he played well in the first half too, but played a lot more after halftime. But with no foul trouble, no Collins, it kind of felt weird to me. Um, and they actually, in the first half, Damian Jones played more than Alex Lynn did. That did not happen in the second half, obviously. Um, but at the halftime break, the Hawks had a uh, very, very strong offense. But um, from that point forward, it kind of cooled off a little bit, as, we saw, as we'll talk about the second half of this contest. Um, the same starters, I thought, um, that wasn't a huge surprise in the second half. But um, in a hurry, things changed because Damian Jones got his fourth foul in about 10 minutes of play. Um, 28 seconds into the second half, that, and that, that, that allowed Alex Lynn to come, on, come into the game and change things for the better for the Hawks, um, ultimately. And then also, I thought it was noteworthy that DeAndre Hunter came out of the game very early in this spot. It went to Alan Crabb about two minutes into the third quarter, and actually, Hunter sat for a long time. I'm not sure if that was being a message being sent to Hunter, who was, who was not very good in the first half of this game, but uh, worth, worth pointing out. But... The Pacers did go on a 10-2 run to open the half, take the lead, including a four-point play from T.J. Warren. Um, the Hawks did stop the bleeding, though, behind Young and Herter, who were both very, very good offensively in this spot. Uh, Herter was great all night long. Um, incredibly small lineup that the Hawks went to that I wanted to point out as well. They went with DeAndre Bembry at the four, essentially, while Hunter was still out of the game. It was Young, Crab, Herter, Bembry, and Len. Got even smaller there for a few minutes when they went to Brandon Goodwin alongside Trey Young with that small ball lineup. It didn't kill them by any means, but I thought it was at least worth pointing out how small they were at the four without that option to go with a bigger player in this spot. Um, the Hawks did a good job holding on at the end of the, at the end of the third quarter without Trey Young on the floor as well, as well as the early fourth, uh, the early portion of the fourth quarter. Kevin Herter, had a, Kevin Herter had a season high in points scored in this game, and, and by the way, he had he had the season high through three quarters. That was how impressive he was early on in this game. Um, Alex Len played more in the in the third quarter than he did in the entire first half, which is also worth pointing out. That was very very helpful. I would I would say for the Hawks, the defense was pretty um, pretty uneven. I would say overall in the third quarter, but the Hawks uh, did enough scoring to hold on to a uh, nice margin. And the fourth quarter was really ugly on both sides of the floor. I will say this: the first, really the entire fourth quarter, I will say on both ends of the floor by both teams was not fantastic. Um, that's probably the best way to put it. I'll just, I'll just kind of leave it there for now. But you know, a lot of back and forth. In this game, it was basically a four-point game or less for the entire stretch run from about seven minutes to go all the way down to the end. The Hawks did lead the entire way in the uh, for the last six minutes of the game. Um, but there were some moments where they actually had um, some some peril, I would say. Um, the Hawks had a three-pointer. Sorry, the Pacers had a three-pointer in the air from Aaron, from Aaron Holiday that would have given them the lead that he missed on a wide, wide-open shot. And in general, Indiana just could not score. The Pacers didn't score... Uh, a field goal for about four and a half minutes at one point in, uh, late in the fourth quarter. A couple of uh, very makeable shots missed by the Pacers during this run. The Hawks go up by four points with 1.22 to go on a bucket from Trey Young. 
at that point in time, it was only 17 to 14 scoring in about the first 11 minutes of the fourth quarter. That kind of tells you how bad it was on both ends of the floor. It was just plainly hideous basketball. And if you if that's all you saw, you would have been pretty disappointed by this game. But unfortunately, the Hawks closed it out in a solid fashion. A nice block shot by Alex Lynn on Miles Turner to generate. Um, it's just one of those things. Uh, the Hawks had a turnover, though, with 44 seconds left, up three. Um, you know, very interesting. They lost the ball there with Trey Young. It looked like actually it was going to be a turnover, but... It, Fortunately for them, the replay review stood instead of overturning. I actually thought it might have been off Trey, but that allowed the Hawks to get the ball back. Um, unfortunately for Atlanta, though, they did not score off that because they uh, failed to get a good shot off with a short shot clock. It was kind of just a heave by Vince Carter. And then um, the Pacers had the ball down three, 20 seconds to go, and then an awful possession by the Pacers to not even get close to a three-point shot. They finally got a, uh, a contested two at the, end of, at the end of the shot clock. Sorry, at the end of the game clock, that was a foul a foul by T.J. Warren. He goes to the line, down by three, taking two free throws with four, with four and a half seconds to go. Actually makes only one of two. That puts the Hawks in a great position. Um, Trey Young got fouled on the inbound. Actually only, though, made one of two, leaving the door a little bit open for Indiana. So the Hawks are up by three instead of four at that point in time. But uh, after a long pass in traffic by the Pacers was basically intercepted, there was a loose ball foul called on Indiana. And then Young just had to make one free throw to end the game, and he was able to do that, making both. Um, in the final second. So the Pacers were 6 of 23 from the floor and 0 of 4 from 3 with 5 turnovers in the fourth quarter. Now, part of that is the Hawks playing good defense. And it seemed like Lloyd Pierce was really happy with the defense in the fourth quarter. I think he should be because they were forcing the Pacers into some bad shots. And we definitely saw the absence of Brogdon, I thought, at the end of the game um, for Indiana, just not getting quality, quality looks really at all. But still, I think it has to be pointed out, Indiana gave the Hawks some openings in this spot, and Atlanta's offense wasn't quite as good as it had been previously, but the Hawks won a close game against a good team. That definitely has to be pointed out, and they did what, what they needed to do down the stretch there to hold on very, very tightly and win. Also, Vince Carter played crunch time in this spot. I was okay with that because of the lack of options the Hawks had when uh, the Pacers were going uh, bigger. You know, you wanted to play. You wanted to play Leonard Center, and I would definitely choose Vince over Bruno Fernando at the four in that spot. So, if you want to sort of at least try to match, if Vince, Vince has that old man strength, I was okay with Vince playing crunch time. Though it's not necessarily what I would love to see all the time from the Hawks, but they were just very, very short in this game. Um, as we go a little bit here to the big picture. Briefly here, the Hawks had a good offense in this game, as you might expect. A lot of that was the first quarter, but still for the whole game, they had a 118 offensive rating. That is very, very good. They shot 51% from the floor. That's very good as well. They got to the line 24 times, made 22 of them. That's very good. Um, you know, not too much to complain about there. Defensively, it was a little bit hot and cold. When Lim was in the, when Lim was in the game, they were really good, on the, really good on defense. When he wasn't, they weren't as good, but that's kind of what you would expect. A 112 defensive rating is not going to win you all that many games, but they, it was enough in this game, and they did a pretty good job on everyone except for Sabonis and maybe Justin Holiday. They held Warren and Miles Turner and Aaron Holiday and Jeremy Lamb really in check throughout this game, and they were able to uh, clamp down when they needed to to get stops. So big picture, the Hawks stopped the bleeding of the of the back-to-backs on this spot, and honestly, a really, really strong follow-up for Atlanta. If you tell me coming into a back-to-back against Boston and Indiana, where John Collins plays two out of the two out of the eight quarters, you're probably gonna lose those two games. And to take things to the wire against Boston and a game that they honestly could have won, and then come back at home and beat a team that is on a rest disadvantage, um, it's pretty impressive. The Hawks went out, got this win, and uh, shouts to them for taking care of business in this spot. So. With all, with all that said, we will have a quick break here to get into the uh, sponsorship portion of the program. Then we'll come right back with individual players and look ahead a little bit to Monday against Denver. All right, and we're back to talk about the individual players in this game. 
Um, obviously, a few stand-up performances that we'll, hit, that we'll save to the end. The Hawks played 10 guys in the spot. The three guys who did not play were Charlie Brown Jr., who was recalled for some depth in this spot, and then Chandler Parsons and Evan Turner. No, no big surprises there. To the guys who actually did play, Brandon Goodwin, good minutes again here, 13 minutes off the bench as a backup point guard. Um, I continue to like that. That, that alignment for Brandon Goodwin, he, and he's, he's earning the time, and good, good to see that from him. He had eight points in the 13 minutes. Thought he played pretty well overall. Uh, Vince Carter, 18 minutes, including some crunch time. Didn't shoot it well, 107 from the floor, but I thought Vince was actually pretty spry. Some other areas here, three points, three rebounds, and an assist, and they needed him to step up in this game and play competently. I thought he did that for the most part. Alan Crabb struggled a little bit in this game, defensively in particular, but two points, um, one of five from the floor. Three rebounds and an assist. You know, wasn't his greatest game by any means, but uh, didn't kill them necessarily. DeAndre Bembry, I thought, played pretty well other than over three from three. Made all four of his twos in this game. Eight points, three, three steals, and a block shot to go along with two rebounds and, and two assists. He was active. It was good Bembry for the most part in this spot. Alex Len was fantastic, I thought. 16 points, nine rebounds, three block shots, a steal, and an assist in 27 minutes. Six of eight from the floor, four of four from the free throw line. I thought Len was just masterful, honestly. I think he's been playing very, very well for a long time now, and I think it's, he's starting to get some attention for that, which is very, very good, good to see. And the starting thing is just going to be litigated forever, but he played 27 minutes here. That was appropriate. It's about what he about what he should have played, maybe up to 30, 31, 32, somewhere in there. It's kind of what you would expect the max to be relatively for Alex Len on a back-to-back especially, but he, he just played really well. In the second half, he was massive. He was the third best player on the court for the Hawks in this game, and he showed out in a big way. To these starters in this spot, Damian Jones played only 10 minutes. The foul trouble was the reason he came out so early in the third quarter, but he just didn't play all that well. He did have six rebounds, which is good to see, all defensive, but that was about the only thing that we point to for Damian. Bruno Fernando, um, 10 points, four rebounds, three assists. He was much better in this game than he's been at, at different times. Struggled, struggled a little bit, I thought, at times, um, defensively with awareness stuff and grabbing the ball, um, grabbing a loose ball, stuff like that, but I thought it was a little bit better than usual from Bruno. Um, DeAndre Hunter struggled mightily in this game. Other than, other than Crab, I thought Hunter was the one guy who was not good um, based on his baseline. Scoreless in this game for Hunter, which I don't really care about all that much, but he was just kind of passive, kind of just invisible out there for the most part. Defensively, he was okay, but um, a game where you want to definitely see more from Hunter on the offensive end of the floor. That's probably the best way I can put it. Keep it short for now, but it was not a good night for DeAndre Hunter, um, and I think the extended absence in the third quarter was not um, by accident given the way that he was playing to that point in time. To the starting backcourt, and both guys were really good in this game. Kevin Herter played a team-high 41 minutes. He played a ton while Trey Young was on the floor, off the floor, I should say, in the fourth quarter. They needed him. He was cooking a little bit, and uh, he got a short break and then came back in. But uh, a lot of minutes, and he, he earned him in this game. 26 points, a season high for Kevin. Six rebounds, five assists, two steals for Herter. He was plus eight to uh, a tie for a lead on the team with Alex Lynn. 10 of 18 from the floor, four, four of seven from three. Uh, he was aggressive. He was playing with a lot of confidence, I thought. Uh, defensively, better than he has been recently. Just a really, really good game for Kevin Herter, and it seems like he's getting healthy and confident, and that's a huge thing for the Hawks because um, coming into the year, he was supposed to be the third-best player on the team. Um, he hasn't quite been that that good this, this season, but at least recently, the last three, four games here, he seems like he's turning the corner a little bit, and you definitely see that from Kevin Herter as he looks ahead to the latter part of his second season. And then Trey Young... Cooled off, certainly. After starting 9 of 9 from the floor, he finished 12 of 23, so that means he's only 3 of 14 in the rest of the game. But the first half was just ridiculous from Trey Young. Um, 30 points, a career high for a half. He had 28 points before he, before he missed a single shot. It was just a ridiculous performance from him in the first, in the first half of the full game. 41 points, 8 assists, 4 rebounds, 2 steals for Trey. He was plus 6. Defensively, he was pesky. He had a couple of nice drawn charges in this spot. 
I don't think he was quite as good defensively as he was in the game on Friday, but he was still better than his normal baseline defensively. 37 minutes, he was 12, 12 of 23 from the floor, 5 of 13 from three. He definitely cooled off there after halftime, but 12 of, 12 of 14 from the free throw line. Um, the one big miss late, which could have bit them, but it didn't, and he made the last two to make things a little bit better. I thought Young was fantastic. You know, just kind of the way it was. In the second half, if you want to isolate the second half by itself, he was not that good. But if you factor in the first half where he was just masterful, you can't complain about the way the trainer played this game. It was awesome. And the combined backcourt having 67 points is uh, pretty huge, and they needed it in this game without John Collins and Jabari Parker, etc., etc. So looking ahead a little bit to Monday, the Hawks have a pretty tough test ahead with the Nuggets coming to town. Denver is not unbeatable by any stretch because they're just kind of a team that can, that can be, uh, I would say, guilty of playing down to their competition at times. But uh, the Nuggets are a good basketball team, and they they do not play between now and uh, and Monday. So we'll see. Both teams will be on even rest in that spot. And then the Hawks go uh, two nights after that and play at, at home, I should say, against the Rockets. So a couple of quality Western Conference teams coming to Atlanta in games where the Hawks will be underdogs, to be sure, but certainly winnable. And with the way they've now played in uh, the last three games, getting a win in Orlando, a close-fought loss in Boston, and then a win here. Atlanta is playing their best basketball of the season, and we sense the early going. Um, so that's good to see, obviously. And we'll see how they look on, on Monday. I am not planning to do another podcast between now and Monday unless something crazy happens. If there's a trade, I will obviously do a podcast in, in emergency fashion. But if nothing else, please subscribe to the podcast. I, I, again, if you missed anything from yesterday, a two-part podcast should be there as well as uh, earlier in the week. I talked to Ben Ladder for a long time on the podcast. That was a fun one. Catch up on that one as well. Please stay tuned. Please subscribe. Please tell a friend about the show. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roller. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And we will see everybody at the very, very latest on Monday from this same spot at State Farm Arena.